This is a holiday a lot of people love. People who sell candy in boxes. People who cut perfectly beautiful flowers and so the rest of us can go and buy them. People who have restaurants and they know we're all planning to come today. They just have to stock their cupboards and get ready. People who sell cards and we so willingly buy them. It's such a waste of perfectly good money. I know, I know, I'm going to get in trouble again. But look at it this way. Anything that's written on a card, you could say personally, over the phone, or in words. It might mean even more. I know, men, you're challenged with words. Me too. Sometimes I just can't find a thing to say. And I know you're wanting to get to the restaurants on time this today. And if we could beat all the other churches, wouldn't it be cool? <laughs> Think about a mother's job. It's such an easy task. The hours are round the clock. On call, 365 days a year. And on leap year, 366. Doesn't matter if it's late at night. You've been awake most of the day before. If your child is sick, they don't cry out, Daddy. They cry out, Mama. And if you think daddy's going to meet that need, you're probably wrong. And daddy, if you think you don't need to go with mama, you are definitely wrong. You need to be there. Mama, mama, it deepens my heart that so far I have not yet won over my granddaughter. She's young. She's in the nursery. Wow, she's growing. Let me just tell the nursery people if they can hear this. She likes women. It's a good thing if you look like her mother. If you're her grandfather and you haven't seen her in a while, a few days, and you go to see her, she doesn't like me nearly as much. She goes from laughing and happy to looking for mother. It's going to take another few months, but I will win her over. I will. I don't know how much candy and cards I'll buy, but I will win her over. Round the clock. There are a few degrees necessary to be a mother. You need a degree in medicine, psychology, and education. You need a degree in communications, social sciences, and political science. You have a lot of negotiating to do. You need a degree in theology. After all, you've got to teach them about the world and about God. You need a degree in law because they are going to talk you out of so many things. <laughs> you need a degree in health and nutrition. You need to read the, what's the name of the book? The Belly of Wheat? Wheat Belly? I guess you need to read that book. I'm going to advise all the children if your mother has read the book Wheat Belly. God bless you. You're going to be so healthy. Because you're so young, they're going to make you eat that way. But do not despair. You'll get older. You need a degree in health and nutrition, and Doug needs to read it. You need a degree in marketing, because you're going to have to go to school and convince the teacher your child is indeed the smartest, most talented kid in class. You need a degree in engineering. They're going to break every toy you give them, especially if they're little boys, and they're going to come to you to fix it. And daddy may not be there. You're going to need that degree. And lastly, you're going to need a degree in nursing because they're going to fall. They're going to get knots on their heads and skins on their knees. Somebody's going to hurt their feelings, especially if they're girls. And even though you can't help them, you must try. Then you need a degree in nursing. Other than that, as far as experience goes, it's on the job training. Nobody's really interested in all those degrees or being a mother until their child gets here, or at least is on the way, right? 
I never paid attention to mothering other than to holler the word. Mother, mom, mama. But as far as what mama was doing, I didn't pay a lot of attention until it came to my attention that my wife was going to be one of those things. And then she disappeared for a few years and started raising kids. And I hung around so I could see her every now and then and learn what mothers do. On the job training, as a psychology professor told us one day in class, the truth is most of us do things that bring harm to our children. That's the bad news. And there's very little training about becoming a mother. The best news is this, that they all turn out pretty normal anyway. So if you're trying to scar your child intentionally or you're doing it unintentionally, don't worry. They'll still turn out pretty normal. Thanks be to God for his creation. Skills. You need some skills if you're going to be a mother. You need to be a good listener. You need to be able to cook something that's nourishing. You need to be able to teach your children about social etiquette. You are the relationship builder and how they will learn to form relationships throughout their lives. You do toy repair. You need to be a teacher in all subjects. They will come to you with every assignment, and it will be late at night. You need to be the lost and found manager because they will lose everything you buy for them. And if you don't find some of it and have to replace all of it as often as they lose it, you will be broke, and then you will need a banker. To all the mothers who have this terrible job that nobody would sign up for in the world if they were to see a job for being a mother, if they knew all that was involved, thankfully we don't know until it's too late. But I have a message to you. All of those jobs, though important, are not the most important job. Your most important job as mother is the same most important job that you have if your name is father. And that is your most important thing you do on this earth is pass on the faith in Jesus Christ to your children. Other children to spouses who do not know the Lord but are trying to raise children that are your friends, to other moms who are struggling with motherhood and being a good mom, if you've already been down that trail, they yearn for your guidance and your direction concerning our Lord. Children are like sponges. They do soak up. So listen closely to this short sermon. Are you ready? You may think I've already started, but that was just fun. This is the sermon. In this passage of Scripture, what we find right after Easter are stories about Jesus passing on the faith. Whatever the disciples seemed to need at that time, he gave them. Even to Thomas, the one who wasn't there when Jesus made his first appearance. And he said, yeah, if I don't see myself, I'm not going to believe, right? So Jesus came back and said, okay, doubting Thomas. He didn't say exactly that. He said, okay, Thomas. He didn't let him know what he was doing. He just said, touch me. See the wound in my side. You need some objective reality to the subjective idea that you've refused to receive that the other disciples have told you, because I've already seen them, and they told you about me, but you didn't believe. So here, I need this first crop to be dead set certain that I'm real, because everybody else is depending on you. So Jesus said to himself, I'm sure to the Father, I'll be back in 50 days or so, but until then, you know, I'm going to go and... Keep showing up to those disciples until I'm sure they've got it. I have to pass it on. Mothers, so do you. Now, when Jesus came to pass it on, he said some important words. Every time he showed up. <laughs> Can you imagine the first time he showed up, by the way? 
I mean, you're in a room, the doors are shut, you're talking to one another, there's 10 of you, Judas has already gone the wrong way, Thomas, he's somewhere, and suddenly you look around and there's Jesus, the door didn't open, nobody climbed through the window, but then Jesus, with a word of caution and helpful comfort, said to those terrified men, peace be with you, don't be frightened, I'm not a ghost. It's me, really. It happened. I'm back. Came to Thomas and the rest of the disciples. What did he say first? Peace be with you. What did he say? He's always saying peace be with you in these days. Because that's what he's coming to bring. Peace. We Christians are here to bring peace to the world. We are here to bring about a relationship between them and God that nothing else can accomplish. We have been called and we have been given an assignment, mothers and fathers and all the rest of us in between. We have all been called to share this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a great passage. There are a lot of sermons on this passage. But today's sermon is the last verses that were read earlier for you. Many other signs were performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. That always bothers me, by the way. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Yesterday, I had a two-hour conversation with four of our men in their small group. I don't know what got into them, but they meet on Saturday mornings at 7.30, and they invited me to come. They thought they were tempting me to say no. I thought the devil was tempting them to get me to come there. I don't know, but at any rate, I did come that early on Saturday morning. That's a no-no, unless I'm playing golf or fishing or meeting with a group. It's a no-no at that time of day. But I went, and you know what? We had over a two-hour conversation about being a disciple, what I was going to preach about today. Good timing, God. I listened to those men talk about their concerns about the church universal, about church in particular, and what are we going to do about making disciples here? And I told them what limit line I knew and what plans we were doing and what my hopes and dreams were. We told what it meant to us to ask somebody to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were five opinions in the room, as there usually are when five people get together to talk about the faith. So I enjoyed that conversation immensely. Let me tell you now, this morning though, a, a great big summary of what it means to pass on the faith. To pass on believing. We Christians love to say we believe in Jesus Christ, but what do we really mean? So many people struggle to understand what that means. I want to give you a short beginning place to start with the idea that you're going to pass on to your children and grandchildren and neighborhood children and church children. By the way, Mother's Day is about every woman. Father's Day is about every father in some sense because we all take vows, right, to raise the children of this church, every one of us. If your children think I'm not their, their, one of their fathers, let them misbehave in front of me and I will show them the way. I will instruct them that I'm their father now because yours isn't present. And you should do the same thing. It is our job to present motherhood and fatherhood to every child, not only here, but on your block. You say, well, some of my parents wouldn't, wouldn't appreciate it on the block. That's all right. I'm telling you to go ahead and do it. Will you get in trouble? Maybe. But that's all right, too. You're doing a good thing. If they don't recognize it, they'll catch up to you later. Like if their children's running across the street and you save them, they'll be so glad you saved them. 
Now, if you're telling them how to follow Jesus, okay, maybe they won't be so glad about that. But maybe that'll give you the chance to tell them too if they're not telling their children about Jesus. Believing, pestuo, pistis as a noun, pestuo as a verb in the New Testament. It's the Greek word that we translate believe, believing. So many people have a partial understanding of the word. So many people lack the overall view of the word that it causes them to struggle. But it is foundational in the church of Jesus Christ that we understand what it means to believe. Remember, Jesus gave the disciples everything they needed in order to help them believe. Can you remember that sentence? Jesus did whatever was necessary to help those original disciples believe. Now fast forward almost 2,000 years and say to yourself, you don't have to say it out loud though I'm tempted, it is up to the church of Jesus Christ to do everything they possibly can to help every person who does not believe to believe. That's our job. Believing is their job. Passing it on to them is our job. All right? Because believing is not a static, one-time event. Almost everywhere, and certainly in this text we read this morning, is the present tense continuing action Greek verb. That means that the verb does not connote action happening just now, but action that continues into the future. Made permanently clear, if you have a good translation, it says, but these have been written so that you may believe, which would be a present thing, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing a continual action event, you may have life in his name. Believing once upon a time is a very short life if the, if the belief is a static one-time event. Believing is a connoting a relationship that is life-giving and demands constant attention. You know what relationship demands constant attention? Husbands. You know what today is? Mother this day, right? You got something for your mother, surely. I'm meeting mine for lunch. We can't be late. But if you think your wife is not your mother, you're about to get an education. Relationships demand constant attention. And so does the one we have with the Father. Believing is never described hardly ever in the scripture as something that occurred one moment in time and stopped there. At least as far as all good United Methodist Wesleyan theologians believe. I know there's a group of folks, pretty large in number, that don't sit to eat every meal at the Wesleyan table. I can't help that. My job is to convince them to do so starting today. Some of them were raised in the Reformed Church. The Dutch Reformed Church, right, Brian? I found that out about him. I didn't know that. He said they're everywhere up there in Michigan or Minnesota. I forgot. Michigan. Michigan. I've never been to one. When I go to see your mother, tell her how, you, how you've been acting, I'll probably try and go to her Dutch Reformed Church. I think that gives me another word to speak to you after church. My mother's still here. She's 88. She's getting shorter. There's something that seems to happen with us as we get older. She's about this tall now. And she's gotten skinnier. Mother never was a skinny woman, but she's pretty thin now. And she has a hard time walking very far now. An accident occurred. Things happen. She had red hair. She's still got a little strawberry there with mostly white now, but not all. She looks frail, but when she looks at me and says, Douglas... I pay attention. 
I pay attention because that's my mama. When she took me to church every Sunday, I knew not to question going to church because it was where I was going. Pastuo means believe and keep on believing. She's in church today if she's able. I can guarantee you that's for sure. Believing means to have trust that is expressed as a confidence and exhibited objectively in a commitment to the object of your trust. In the Old Testament language, they spoke mostly of faith and faithfulness in objective terms. In the New Testament, most of the words describing faith or faithfulness talk about a subjective reality because the objective reality of the Hebrew faith had to be transformed into the subjective reality of the Christian faith. As Jesus said, even in this passage, blessed are those who did not see but believed. I have never seen Jesus. I've never put my hand in his side. But I believe because I have chosen to believe. I believe and firmly assent to the idea that Jesus was not just a man in history, but that he was the Son of God, begotten by the fathers through the Holy Spirit and Mary, born and came to this earth and lived and died as my Savior. Subjectively, though I did not see the empty tomb and never have, though I was not there, subjectively, I have decided that that is a matter of faith for me. Somebody says, can you prove it? Sort of. Not totally objectively, but it's been proven to me because the Holy Spirit, toward all those who say they believe and seek to follow Jesus, they get affirmed of Jesus' presence. That's why Savannah came and said, I want, can I be baptized? And then she couldn't wait. She almost was a little pest. <laughs> she was a quiet little pest. And even today when she said her vow, she was so herself. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you? Yes, I do. Looking right at me, never wavering. She's been waiting for that water of the baptism to tell the world her profession. To hear the voice of God say, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Not that she didn't already know that God loved her, but that she needed to do something objective, receive the water of baptism to make the subjective reality and statement of her faith that Jesus is Lord even more real to her. That's why you sprinkle on the children and say, remember your baptism. We should be sprinkled every week because we are forgetful people. Sometimes we act like we don't really remember. I want you, as you get ready to leave here, to know that trusting God is something only you can do for yourself. I know that some of you believe in the mental ascent part. You believe that the man Jesus was God's son. And you're bound to determine not to go to the wrong place when you die. I get that. But you've never really trusted with complete confidence God in God's word to direct your life. You're still holding on to part of it because it seems too radical. It would change the way you live. You want to have faith by saying Jesus was God's son and you want that to deliver you to heaven. But I'm here to tell you Unless that assent that Jesus is who Jesus said he was is followed up by the kind of trust that would cause you to climb up on the back of the unicyclist 
who was crossing over Niagara Falls on a one-wheel bike. Unless you're ready to climb on Jesus' back because you trust him, then you're never going to be willing to do the things that Christians trust God to deliver to them. And therefore, you're never going to really receive the full joy that Jesus wants to offer you. A lot of times people tell me, well, I've believed in Jesus all my life. It just hasn't really come through for me. And I just smile because I think, oh, my, my, my. You thought Jesus was Santa Claus. He's not. He's not the Easter Bunny either. And he's not the person who makes every bad experience go away in your life. You are to have faith, trust, and confidence that Jesus has your life in his hands and will deliver you unto the Father well approved. You need to rehearse that every morning. And then you need to act on that thing that you say you believe. Because then your faith will begin to open up to you. And like a little child, you will beam with joy knowing that God is so happy with you because you are following his ways. You want to be happy while you say no to God. It doesn't work that way. It didn't even work that way when you were children, right? I mean, I knew my parents loved me, but my daddy was a big man. He had a big, long black belt back in the days when you could wear one, and you could take one off when the time, an appropriate time, arose. In my life, that seemed to happen pretty often. Either it was my brother getting the instruction he needed, and I was learning, or it was me and I was learning. I had a sister. I'm not sure she ever got a spanking, maybe once in her whole life, but I don't know what it is about girls and daddies. They don't get enough spankings. You did. You didn't get near enough. Oh, no. Trust me. No. Trust. Trust. You want to really be a Christian? You want to have some fun in the church? Trust. You don't have to understand it all. Just do what you read. Oh, that means you have to read it too. I forgot about that part, didn't I? You got to read the Bible. You got to pray. You got to spend time with him. So when you look into his eyes, it'll look like my daddy did when I had done something. Now, he barely said anything, but when he didn't look, I knew he was proud of me. And I knew what he wanted. When he wasn't, I didn't really want to look at him. Some of you may have not looked into the eyes of God for a while because you have known that God is not happy with some of the things you're doing or not doing. All you have to do is just trust him and do it. Quit thinking you're smarter than God. Because by the way, you're not. You're just not. And neither is your next door neighbor and neither is your teacher or your professor. No one knows what's best for you like God. Like the love of a mother that seems pure because it's always showered upon you, so is the love of God. But you have to do more than just think about it in your head. You've got to trust him with your heart. You've got to trust him with your life. When you make that mistake, or not that mistake, rather, when you make that step, then you're going to find out that God will present himself to you and teach you who he is. I'm not saying mountains will be built or the nation will come to your feet. I'm saying that you will know that God loves you and is with you. But it's up to you to receive the help that he came to give you. Will you do that?